I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have, and if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking. Hey everyone, and welcome to the All It Takes a Goal podcast. If you're new around here, I'm a late bloomer who discovered the power of goals in his mid-30s. Now I'm on a furious mission to create the accelerators I wish I had in my 20s. I'm your host, John Acuff, and today I'm joined by Jenny Urich. Who is Jenny? Ooh, she is the founder and CEO of A Thousand Hours Outside, a global movement, media company, and lifestyle brand meant to bring back balance between virtual life and real life. She's a thought leader in the world of nature-based play and experiences and the benefits those provide for people of all ages. Many people from all walks of life look to her for inspiration, as well as practical tips on how to put down the screens and get outside. She's also the host and producer of the top-ranked Thousand Hours Outside podcast. I've been on four times. And she's got a brand new book called Until the Streetlights Come On. It's fantastic. Until the Streetlights Come On, you're going to love this book. She's got a master's degree in education from the University of Michigan, and she is fantastic. This conversation is a blast. You are going to love it. If you've ever felt like an overwhelmed parent, if you've ever been curious about does getting outside matter? If you've ever wanted to grow your own thing and know there's going to be failures in the midst of that and you want to keep going, we talk about so many different topics. I am such a huge fan of what Jenny and her husband do, and I love the Thousand Hours Outside movement. And let's jump into my interview with Jenny Urich. Jenny, I've been on your podcast a few times. I'm so excited to have you on mine. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, this is such a thrill. I'm honored to be here. I love your message. I love the way you do life. I love the thousand hours. So I'm curious, how did you get started on your journey? Like, give us the kind of the genesis of, okay, I got curious about blank and then that led to blank and then that led to blank. Yeah, I wasn't curious about anything. Actually, I was just drowning. And that's where my story starts. And I think maybe that's the case for a lot of people that you're just really struggling. And my struggle was being a young mom and the intensity of having small children and not really being prepared for 
a day-to-day life where you feel like you're failing constantly. Mm -hmm. I think that when we go through childhood and we enter into adulthood, it depends on when we have kids, but we tend to gravitate toward the things that we're good at. And we have things that we innately know, you know, this is my skill set and this is not. And so for me, it was like, oh, I was good at math, you know, but I wasn't super creative. And so I gravitated toward a career path and things that I was confident I could do. And then I became a mom. And from like literally one day to the next, I was lost because I went from being okay at life, you know, doing all right from day to day to a spot where I really struggled, John. I mean, I had these kids, even when we just had one, but we had three right in a row Two, you know, they're not sleeping. I, my whole plan, I had a whole plan. Yeah. I, I had a plan to be successful. I had a plan to do a schedule. Yeah. I had a plan to do this type of a birth. I even had it written up on a sheet. I had yeah. this whole birth plan, none of this. And, you know, and you just enter in and just like smacked in the face with, chaos, really. And you spent a lot of years grappling with how can I turn this around and just add a little bit more calm. And there just, I don't really think that there was a good answer until uh, I happened upon, and it wasn't even anything that I did. It wasn't anything I was researching. What was happening was I was taking my kids to programs because that's what everyone else did. So, you know, when you try and take a kid to a program, it's awful. It's so much work. It's like a circus show. I mean, you have to pack all of their things and everyone's in a different size diaper and several of them are nursing and they eat different kinds of food and they're crying and you have to strap them into these car seats and they don't want to be in there and you have to drive to the thing and you have to get them out and you have to get out your stroller and the diaper bag and all your library books and you have to make sure they don't get their fingers yeah. pinched in the, I mean, it's like that. And, <laughs> and then you have to do it all backwards, right? Yeah. So, you know, I, I remember days almost every Every day it would be like 11 a.m. and I would be like, I'm done. Like I am so fried, and it was a really hard season for me, John, because I really wanted to enjoy motherhood. It was something that I had looked forward to. I I love my kids. Um, I love. I just have always loved kids, and I was very much looking forward to it. We had family that was willing to help, but our kids were really clingy, and so it was just this season that was pretty dark for me. And one day. And I think sometimes this happens, like a one-day thing. I had a friend at Mops, which is now called MomCo, and I was a group where you meet a couple times a month, and they try and provide childcare. My kids always cried. They'd bring them back. So, you know, bouncing kids and trying to build relationships. I think it's a hard season to build relationships. And this friend of mine said, Charlotte Mason says that kids should be outside for four to six hours a day whenever the weather is tolerable. And I just thought, well, that's the most outlandish idea I've ever heard. What? (laughs) What? And I found out years later that Charlotte Mason is actually from the 1800s. I didn't know that piece of information was not given. So I think in retrospect, like had I known that, I would have just brushed it off. But this friend said, why don't we try it? And I just remember thinking, like, have you been to the library program? It's 45 minutes of pure chaos. So this is not going to work. It's going to be like four times longer, five times longer. And she said, no, we're going to try it and don't bring anything. I was like, well, we need stuff like we need books (laughs) and we need crafts. Um, I'll bring Play-Doh. And she's like, no, like the the point is, is you just go, you bring some food, you bring your water, you bring a picnic blanket. And so my life changed in the fall of 2011, when I took my kids outside for four hours from nine in the morning until one in the afternoon, I had three little kids. They were three and under one was a baby. And my friend had three little kids similar. And what happened was 
the four older kids just ran around. I don't even really know what they did. We weren't at a <laughs> playground structure. Yeah. It was just like grass and a little creek that ran through a shallow creek bed. And we had our babies that would nurse and sleep. And anyway, I tell people that it was the best day of my life because it was the first good day I had as a mom. And I'd not had a good day for three mm. years. You know, I had just struggled so bad. And, um, you know, to have this period of time where I finally got like a little bit of a reprieve, a little bit of an exhale, the kids had a good day. And so we immediately changed how we were doing early childhood, really for my own sake at the beginning, for my own mental health and well-being. But this last 12 years has been a journey of learning that when we allow kids to play outside, it helps in every facet of their development. And we don't have to interject ourselves. We don't have to plan things for it. This is open-ended, self-directed. It helps their physical bodies. It helps them emotionally. It helps their social skills immensely. It even helps their brain function. So it's helping them academically. And it's helping every facet of their growth in ways that are long-lasting for life. And that's where it started. It started in failure. Yeah, I love that. I love the um, honesty. I think there's a lot of people that are going to relate to that, that it wasn't that you had an extra four hours free time as a mom. Like a lot of times you see a mom on Instagram and it's like, and then I do a three hour meditation in the afternoon and I do meal prep with um, kiwi. And you're like, no, we haven't eaten kiwi in our house in here. Like who has time for kiwis? Um, (laughs) But I love that you said it started with feeling overwhelmed. What would you say it started in your life? Because I think you're right. There's the kid aspect, but there's also, there's a lot of adults listening right now that might go, I haven't been outside, I feel like in a year. Like what, Mm -hmm. like I walked from the car into the house. So for you as an adult, what did you start to notice in your own life that outside did? There's a whole lot to do with the full spectrum sunlight. And we're supposed to be exposed to that. The indoor light is completely different. It's really interesting when you learn about it. I don't know. I never knew anything about it. That light is not only for you to be able to see. It's also for your physiology. Mm-hmm. And so what the sunlight does, the full spectrum light, and it changes the the way the wavelengths of the different colors change throughout the day. But it is actually a guide for your body. So this is like the wake up in the morning. You can measure the amount of light. It turns off your melatonin production. When you go out in the morning, your body releases serotonin in response to full spectrum sunlight. And that resets all of these rhythms. Our bodies have over a hundred rhythms that are dependent on this day and night cycle. So there is a whole host of things like we have just rich relationships because we've done these mundane things outdoors, but nature is always different and there's always novelty because the weather changes and the seasons change. And this time you saw a deer and last time you didn't. And so that novelty weaves together to give you a sense of a fuller life and also to anchor your relationships. And so I use used to be, this is the thing, this is my honest thing. For a while, I was very jealous of like the 80s and 90s moms. So that's what I would have seen growing up. And the 80s and 90s moms, they just kicked their kids outside. And there was moms in our neighborhood that would even lock the door like all summer. (laughs) I would be like, well, how are these kids eating? And also, what is that mom doing? And I have no idea. And I would think, well, goodness, if I would have just been a mom 20, 30 years ago, I could have done the same thing. I could have I don't know, wash my baseboards. I have no idea what they were doing in there all day. But you feel as a mom, 
as a parent in general that there there's all these things that you have to do. And so actually by having the goal for myself as well of getting out with the kids, which is a practical one. The world has changed. Kids are not outside playing like they used to be. So that option of shooing them out the door isn't there for everyone anymore. This has actually radically transformed my own life. So even looking at nature is calming. It's, it's all of it. It's the bird song. It's the smells from the trees. It's the full spectrum light. It's the grit that you develop from going out when it's cold. I mean, we're in Michigan. So if you're in a place where it's warm, you know, you're, yeah, you're dealing not with in San Diego. Heat. I want to give you credit. Like this goal is like pipe down San Diego. It's very easy to be outside. We're talking, mm-hmm. she lives in Michigan. Yeah. And so you, you develop some grit and you develop this sense of like, I can do these things and the warmth feels so much better when you come in from a cold day than if you live at this static temperature all the time. So, you know, it is infused in, in our life movement, exposure to nature, all of the benefits. And there are just it is surprising, John. There are just stacks and stacks and stacks of books and research on the benefit of listening to the birds sing in the morning, like all of these simple things that I think that we've maybe forgotten or even just never knew. So you have this moment, the best day of your motherhood, and then now fast forward, you've got this thousand hours outside movement, which is massive, massive. How, what are the steps between, because that's kind of where it t- turns into a goal. So you have that moment, it's kind of the taste and see that it's good moment. And then it starts to crystallize into a goal. What was that process like for you? So we spent two years where we reverted and instead of going to all these short programs, we tried to get outside based on this Charlotte Mason ideal, which is currently still in the research. There are pediatric occupational therapists who say kids should be outside for about three hours a day on average Mm -hmm. in order to optimize their health, which is a lot of time, which is why we have a year long goal because that's not practical for everyone. But what happened was we had two years where we were meeting up with this little nature group, just a couple families. It was very organic. It wasn't anything that was a plan or a group or just a couple families that were on board. And so for two years, we would a couple days a week, try and get together for four to six hours and stay. And we are in the Metro Detroit area where it's pretty populated. And for two years, getting together for four to six hours a week on average, three times a week, we did not run into one other kid for two years, not one other kid. We ran into all sorts of grandparents, no kids. And so I decided back in 2013, because in 2013, as you know, blogs were all the rage. I decided to write about it. And I would not consider myself a writer. I would consider myself a person that has a lot of passion. I mean, I am a writer because I have books now. Yeah, you have have a brand new book. That's part of what we're doing on this podcast. (laughs) Like, I want people to buy Until the Streetlights Come On, (laughs) your brand new book. So now I have to consider myself a writer. But my point is, is that when you're passionate about something, you it goes out into the world, like typos and all. And so when I say I'm not a writer, I'm not a good speller. Uh, it's interesting to be in my 40s. And I tried the other day to spell the word penitentiaries. And I, I, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I'm not, I, mean, I didn't even know. It starts with a P and then I and I typed it in and it was talking about, I don't even know. Like, you know, sometimes they say like kids these days, like people in jail get more freedom. I was something yeah. like that, right? Than yeah. a lot of our kids these days. And it was like penitentiaries. And I was like, like the spell check didn't even recognize my attempt. That's so. when you know, yeah, when spell check goes, we got nothing. <laughs> we got, that's when I misspelled genius the other day, which is probably a sign <laughs> I'm not one. Because I think if you're a genius, you know how to spell that word. I was like, oh, that's disappointing. 
Yeah. So, you know, you have to go at life, I think, with your flaws and all. And so I started a blog in 2013 because this had changed our life so dramatically. And I could really see it with my kids. They were sleeping better, eating better, getting along better, mm. all of those types of things. Mom, look at me developing and all of these skills. And I started to read these books that were talking about how when you engage in complex movement, and that's really what nature facilitates, right? It, it facilitates kids who are rolling down holes and climbing, rolling down hills and climbing trees and doing things that are hard for their bodies mm-hmm. all the way through. I mean, this goes all the way through adulthood. I see you're doing your CrossFit, you're doing your running. You know, the teenagers are on their skateboards, they're shooting hoops, they're trying mm-hmm. trick shots. This complex movement idea can run all the way through your life and those complex movements enhance the structure of your brain as well as protect it. So there's a really cool study that says elderly people who dance regularly have a 76% less chance of developing dementia. That's like, I'll am- take that. Yeah, that's an amazing stat. You know, like yeah. salsa or whatever. I'll yeah. do it. Ballroom dancing. But it's, it's about the complex movements. And so I'm starting to read these books. And I came across a statistic, John, that said the average child, this is back in 2013, the average child is outside for four to seven minutes on average in America, but they're on screens for four to seven hours. Wow. And that's where this impetus of calling it 1,000 hours outside, of having this year-long goal, a year-long goal that takes into effect seasons and that's figurative and literal, the seasons, the heat, the summer heat, the winter, the cold, you know, the part where you had your new baby, you lost your job, you moved, your spouse died, your all of these situations where we're thrown off. But over the course of a year, we're attempting to really bring back balance to life between real life and virtual life. So the process in terms of becoming a movement that has spread across the globe, it really just took a long time. I had probably four or five years where just about everyone, including my friends, said, this is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. Who keeps track of their time outside? Really? (laughs) Really? You're actually doing that? Who has that much time? Why? Why are you doing that? I guarantee you heard some must be nice. (laughs) Oh, it must right, be nice sure. to like, just run in a field of the ribbon. That must be nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So just a lot of that. A lot of uh, inquisitive looks and and a lot of this response of, oh, that's just not for me. Yeah. And so what tipped the tide? Four I mean, or I think five I had, years. I want to like, that's yes. a half decade in layman's terms. I don't know what that yeah. means, but it sounds like something people say. I love that this is a, we're now talking about 12 year, 13 year journey. So that, I think mm-hmm. that's, re- again, that's really encouraging to people to hear. Because yes. I think a lot of times what we see online is, yeah, I tried this. I own a, a purse and then I started a purse company the next day. And now I have a yacht. Like that's the, it's that <laughs> fast. And like, then you're yeah. trying to like sell your second purse in year three. And you're like, this isn't working. So I love that it's five years. Okay. The tipping mm-hmm. point I cut you off is. Well, and I, well, to that point, John, I talked to a lot of authors, too. And what is interesting is I think that for the majority of people that I talk to, it is a decade journey. Almost yeah. every single one. They say it was you look at their you read their bio or you read their journey. And that's what it says. It's Ten years ago, I started X. And here's my book. It's yeah. been a decade. Yeah. So the tipping point was a couple people tried it. And it was three families. I mean, I could tell you who they were. There was one from Canada and one from Virginia and one from North Carolina. And these mm-hmm. three families tried it. I can remember the first time I saw it because I'm using hashtag 1000 hours outside for years. And all of a sudden there was someone else that used it. <laughs> wait, wait. So you're just 
You're putting it in all your stuff, all your stuff, all your stuff. Yeah. It's just you yelling into the void. Like you're yeah, sharing. Yeah. yeah. And then finally, like, I just have this picture. Of, I think creators like you, creators like me, we put messages in bottles and we throw them out and we throw them out and we throw yeah. them out. And then there's a moment and it's amazing when a bottle comes back and it mm-hmm. lands back on your shore and you go, oh, and somebody else has put their note into it and it changes it. So they found your blog is these three families found they found I don't know what they found. I think they found through Instagram actually, probably through social media that they started to follow and someone else this one this hashtag 1000 hours outside for a long time was literally just my own hashtag. Like it would be like your family, like hashtag a yeah. family. I mean this is like what it was. And then all of a sudden someone else used it and they have been keeping track this family they had colored in all of these boxes and they had a thousand boxes colored in and they we're holding up their sheets. And that was the tipping point because what it is, this one particular thing is an answer for a lot of modern day parenting problems. And I knew it was an answer because it worked for us. Now it's not going to work for everybody. Everybody has their own situations, but for our family, it worked and it continues to work. This is a lifestyle we started when I had Three, a three-year-old and now I have a 15-year-old and it is a lot harder these days to find the time. It's a lot easier physically to get out the door, but it's a lot harder to find the time. And so it's still an important thing and still research-backed. Teens should be outside too. So this has worked for us for 12 years, but the tipping point happened about five years in and then it's, it's just slow. It's slow and people, they adapt it They work on it for a year, a full year. People keep track with a one sheet of paper for a full year. I think if there's something to be celebrated, you got a parent with a a house of kids and you kept track of a sheet of paper for a full year. Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. We'll put it on their fridge and it's modeling to kids a way to find balance in life because it is tricky. It is so tricky to find balance. And I know you talk about that time. So many of the things you say stick with people. They stick with me for sure. That time is this valuable resource that we have, but it's also very vulnerable. And so this keeps it out in front of us that we are aiming to fill our life with a little bit of white space, a little bit of rest, a little bit of connection, and leave a lot of the leftover time for screens and not the other way around. I I love that. So the first three families start doing it. Do you remember a moment when you turned to your husband and said like, hey, I think I think people might really get into this. Like, hey, so there's the first hashtags, but was there was there moments along the way where you're like, I think this could be a thing. Like, and maybe it's when your podcast starts doing really well, your Instagram starts growing. Like, where, what were the other moments along the journey that you're like, huh, I'm not the only one? Well, some of those moments are when the book publisher reaches out, right? Yeah. And they come and they say, hey, we want you to write a book. So those types of things I think are legitimizers. And I do think that a little bit the numbers are legitimizers, but there was some years where all of a sudden people have these sheets of paper and they're posting them everywhere. I mean, this is all around the world. They're coming in from all around the world where they have printed out the sheet of paper and it's up on their fridge and people are actually doing it. And I'm getting posts that are in other languages. I can't even read it. <laughs> I can't read any of it. But there is a piece of paper and it's gone across the globe. And so it, it happened probably in about 2019. And then obviously 2020, boom, people had nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> this was a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, and and then, like I said, people started to reach out. Other people started to reach out and notice. I, I also think... One of the biggest things when you know that something has caught on is when other people start to copy. Yeah. So a lot of that happened too, yeah. right? So that starts to happen and you're kind of dealing with 
copyright issues and things like that. So because here's the thing, John, you know, you're sitting there with your idea, whatever your idea is, and you have an idea, you have something that's happened in your family. And and you know, you, you know, maybe you have, you're really good at meal planning, you're good at the organization of your home, you're good at building relationships, you're good at helping people reach their goals, all of these, and you, you have found this thing that really works for you. And you're putting it out into the world, and no one's biting. And then years down the road, I've had people come to me and say, I wish I would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. And I think, well, no, you probably don't because <laughs> yeah. it took seven years to get here. Yeah. And now yeah. it seems like a cool thing. But yeah. there were seven years before where people were like, you're weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that because I tell a story where I did a book signing next to John Maxwell and nobody was in my line. And a thousand people were in his line. And somebody came up behind wow. me and patted me on the back. And said, like a stranger, and said, 10 years, buddy, 10 years. And that was accurate and discouraging. Like it was 100% accurate. 10 years later, I can look back on that moment and go, he's right. And in in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm still just getting started. But it was discouraging because if somebody says to you, this dream will work, it's only going to take a decade, you'd be like, oh, that's a lot of. So I think the thing I think in that moment is what's genuine about you, what's genuine about your book. What I think is the way to any long-term enjoyable success is that it has to be something you're doing in your own life. Like you right. were going to do it because you saw the benefits in your own kids and your own life, regardless of if the world got on board, like they're missing out. Like this mm-hmm. is working. This is awesome. Whether or not they get on board um, is, is going to be their decision. But let's bring it back to your new book. So you've got a new book. I love the title. The cover is beautiful. It's so Thanks. fun until the streetlights come on. What was the goal with writing this book? Like what, you know, what was kind of the moment where you said, okay, I need to put this idea out into the world. Mm. This is a book that's been in my heart for a long time. The title has been in my heart for a long time. I think that parents and everyone really needs a message of hope in a world where we're pretty inundated with things that steal a bit from our life. Technology is great, but in excess, people are struggling. People are having a hard time. They're having a hard time with their relationships. They're having a hard time with their emotional state and all of these different things. And so I wanted to put out a book that brings a message of hope that we can do less and yet gain more. And I think it's an opposite message that society tells us. I think society tells us that we have to run, 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 like you said, and get the yacht. But there is a lot of benefit for us and for our kids, and especially for our kids in those Blake spaces. And I think we've been sold a lie. I think we've been sold a lie that we have to sacrifice today for the sake of tomorrow. And the message of the book, the overarching message is that a full life today is really what leads you to be prepared for tomorrow. And especially for our kids, we live in a world that is rapidly changing. This is not the same world as it was decades ago where you would graduate from high school, you would graduate from college, and you would have a 30-year career path that was at the same place mm-hmm. with mostly the same coworkers. And there was a little bit of a, a ladder up and that's what you did. And then you retired and that was the end. I mean, here we sit in a medium that didn't exist when I graduated. And I'm writing a book as a math major who just never wrote any words and just did numbers and symbols. Mm -hmm. And so the world is shifting, which is exciting. But the way that we set our kids up for that, the way that we set ourselves up for that is to be people that are adjustable and have resilience and and are risk takers and are excited about life. And those types of things don't come from 
seat work. They don't come from another tutoring session. They come from really engaging with life and really engaging with people. And so I think we've just been misguided as a culture to say we are going to be rigorous today. And that rigor is going to lead us to tomorrow. But what's happening, what's actually happening is that there are kids that are entering into college. I talked to this woman, Jean, Dr. Jean Twangy, who is a, a professor in California, and she deals with generational changes. I love that people can be experts on so many things you've never even considered. Yeah. Like she's a leading expert on the changes in the generation and g- generations. And she says kids are coming to college and they can't even make simple decisions without texting their parents. Well, the, I mean, we're, we're throwing kids into a world where a, a lot of people are going to be entrepreneurs. I heard a statistic that said by 2030, 75%, and this is from Kim John Payne. I'm not quite sure where he got it. So take it with a grain of salt, but something like, you know, three quarters of jobs will be had by entrepreneurs or people who are juggling side hustles. I mean, this is the culture that we have, right? So how do you become a person that can do that? Well, that happens in those blank spaces. It happens when you learn what you're passionate about. It happens when you have hard edges of relationships, when you're negotiating with friends and being imaginative and coming up with something out of nothing. It comes from that. And if the entirety of childhood is adult directed, well-intentioned, well-intentioned, we're going to do school and then we're going to do homework and then we're going to do swim club and then we're going to do chess and then we're going to do dinner and then you're going to bed. I mean, it's well-intentioned, but that doesn't provide a springboard for a child in this day and age. And so the message is a message of hope that you can pull back on that rat race and that you can live as full of a life. You know, John, there are so many things in our life that drop. And I think a, a question that people ask a lot is, how do you do it all? And I'm going to share a sad story with you that has to do with you, actually. Um, we got the book in the mail, the final copy of this book. And Josh, my husband, he said, where's John Acuff's endorsement? I was like, oh, it's in there somewhere. <clears throat> I was like, I don't know, it's in the back. He's like, I can't find it. And I was like, I don't know, it's in there. And he was like, no, it's not in there. And I was like, no, it has to be in there. It was like the most amazing part of the whole process actually was getting those endorsements, which was really special. And it turned out that I missed it. I had got an email that said, here's all the endorsements. And I never even read it. It was like in a time when we were traveling for conferences mm-hmm. and I was sick and I just completely missed it. And it was one of those things that happened right before the book came out. And, you know, people are trying to be like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And then one of my friends was like, well, no, actually, I buy books based off the endorsements. That are in there. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you know, so- and I just I thought, like, this is not a perfect process. And it was an interesting thing for me, John getting to know you over the past year, year and a half, having these conversations, reading your books, that actually I drew a lot, I drew a lot of strength and wisdom about the whole process based off of a lot of the conversations that we had had and a lot of the things that I had read in your book, that so much of life is, is looking back and adjusting and mm-hmm. looking at your data and being like, oh, I missed that. Like what a huge miss and what can I do to fix it moving forward? And so this whole part of just getting into the game and putting something out into the world that really leaves you vulnerable. I mean, I got that out of your new playlist. It was your daughters were talking about that, that, you know, you could be a spectator or you can actually mm-hmm. get out there and, and mess up and, and fall flat on your face and well, have no, to face that. I'll give you another endorsement so that, that, yeah, we'll get the next book. Like, 
We'll totally get the. I, there won't be a book you write that I don't endorse. So, yeah, I completely get that. So, how do how does a parent? Because I think there's a lot of parents. You talked about letting some of this stuff go, like the stuff you're going to drop, the stuff you're going to miss. So, give us. You know, if I'm a parent right now and I feel that sense of overwhelm, that sense of I can't do it all. There's more than like I've hit my capacity years ago, and I'm just trying to get to the end of the day. What are some of the things that you'd say? Hey try this or, Hey, here's something you can drop or, Hey, here's, here's a way to encourage yourself. What are some of those kind of, cause you're really good at like the, the re, part of the reason I like how you do what you do is you've got practical and tactical. Like your book mm-hmm. has practical and tactical. It's not, boy, shouldn't kids be outside more? Like, wouldn't that be, it's not idyllic. It's actually practical. So what would be something that you say to a parent? Okay. If you feel overwhelmed right now, here's, here's a small thing you can try. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have to understand that. Well, I love this is one of my favorite statements. It's from Luis Fernando Yosa, who wrote a book about youth sports. It's called Beyond Winning. He says, when our kids are bored, we have not failed. And I think that's one of the <laughs> yeah. biggest statements that yeah. a parent needs is and it's actually the opposite. When our kids are bored, you have not failed. And so I think it starts with carving out a little bit of time. And that might mean 45 minutes after you pick your kids up for school, you say, hey, we, we stay and hang around at the playground because the playground's open after school. And mm-hmm. we grab a couple other families and you get to look forward to that every single day after school. We bring our snacks there. We do that. Then we come home and, and get to the rest of the things. It might look like dropping something, dropping something that's really good and really worthwhile for the sake of having more time in your day. I think on a practical level, hikes for families are fantastic because you're stuck out there. So no one's coming to pick you up by helicopter. If you're going to go for a mile, you're going to go for a mile and you're going to have conversation. For me, my life changed when I tried it, when I saw firsthand. Mm -hmm. And this is about taking ourselves out of the American model of micro splicing our day into this 45 minute class and this 30 minute tutoring session and saying, I'm going to give it a little bit of a breath. I'm going to give it two hours on the weekend and on Saturday morning from 10 to noon. And I know that my house could use a little bit more cleaning. And I know that I need to do the meal plan. And I know that I need to do these things. But also I know that our life needs space and our and our life needs breath. And our kids, they need this. They need the, This is their time. This is their childhood. And so I'm going to set it aside. It's an interesting thing when you talk about goals because you have a goal for things that are hard. This is not a... It's not a difficult concept, but it's not easy. It's not easy to set aside time. That's actually the hardest part. People say, what's the hardest part? Is it getting little kids out in the winter? Well, okay, that's hard. Have you ever tried to get a toddler's hand into those gloves? I mean, this is a pain, right? Yes, that's hard. Is it hard to be out with the mosquitoes? Is it hard to camp? Yes, all these things, they, they are hard. But the hardest thing is to say, I'm going to look at my life and I'm going to prioritize this downtime for my kids because I want to raise a whole child. I'm going to prioritize because I want our family to have these connections. And you and I have talked about this. I also had set out a goal this year. I've been doing 1,000 hours outside for 10 years. So I set out a goal. Number three is like a, a pretty practical one you can grab onto. So I try and read three chapters of a book a day because that adds up to a lot of reading over a the lot of course books. of the year. How many books are you it's on for the year? What was your I books? I, you know what? I have lost track and I'm going to, at the end of the year, I'm going to calculate. But if you read three chapters a day, you're talking about, you're talking about three books every 10 days. That's yeah. about your pace, right? Yeah. Every 10 to 12 days. So that, and I've tried to walk a thousand miles. And what's really neat is these goals have 
permeated from me into my children where they've been really successful at some of them, but I have not necessarily, you know, my, my mileage is maybe in the 400s, but it gives me data to look back at. This is what you talk about. It gives me data to look back at so that I can adjust and say, why is this not working? What are the things, what are these small adjustments I need to make in my life in order to make this work? And the cool thing about it in all of these situations is that you never fail. It's not a fail. Mm -hmm. It's a total win. If you get outside this year for 420 hours, but you weren't getting outside before, that is a total win. And the fact that I walked 400 and something miles this year and last year, I really was struggling because I'm getting this podcast off the ground and I lost my balance between sitting work and and movement, Mm -hmm. I got in 400 more miles than I did last year. And it gives me this basis. This comes from you, right? This is you. These are your things, right? This data gives me a foundation to go off of, to continue to make adjustments, to make sure that my life looks like what I want it to be. But people say all the time, this for 1000 hours outside, this is the best challenge that I've ever failed. Because- Oh, what a sentence. What a sentence. mm -hmm. Because they have these moments and they say, I I wouldn't, my favorite feedback, and I get a lot of feedback. I used to get no feedback, right? For seven years, no feedback, except for you're weird. The feedback I get now is abundant. But the thing that I hear most often that really touches me is people say, I would have missed this moment if not for this challenge. I would have missed this sunrise. I would have missed this camping trip. I would have missed these memories. And I think that's the point that we don't miss it because we're setting time aside. It's not perfect and it's not the solution for everything, but it definitely gives you some a foundation. It gives you something to celebrate. I had, I saw a dad recently, his kids had gotten outside for a hundred hours. He did this whole ceremony, John. He like had made the kids necklaces with like a hundred Cheerios and he uh, crowds them. And I'm like this, you know, we live in a world that I think as parents, as people, we feel like failures a lot. And we look around and we see that the person started the company and got the yacht. And we look around, you've talked about that. You know, you said your mom growing up could only look in the cul-de-sac yeah. and now we can look and see what everyone else is doing. And I think there's a lot of opportunity to feel that we don't measure up. And so this also gives us something tangible to say, Hey, I did that. I did that. I, I walked that many miles. I got my new shoes. What You know, how you do that. Or I did this. I did that. And it wasn't perfect. But I have this measurable, tangible thing to say. I did that. And I know that it was important. And I can see a little bit of the benefits now. And I know that they'll last a long time. I, I love that. And data is a great way to shut up fear because fear is going to say you didn't do anything this year. And you go, oh, that's weird because I have 400 miles right here. That feels mm-hmm. like a lot of so- like that's a long way. What are the other goals? So you've mentioned reading, you've mentioned time outside, obviously you've mentioned walking. What are some other, like, do you have a bunch of goals? Like, I, well, I don't know. I don't have like you do. I have one other one and this is actually new for me. I used to just have the outside piece. That's all I could do. But this last year, I think because my life got pretty out of whack with having a job. And I think a lot of us have jobs that deal with technology. It's really easy for that to get out of whack and to not feel very good. You're never done. Like you will never be done with a podcast. Like, and you do an amazing job with your podcast. You do so many great shares after, like you do a great job with it, but you could always do more. Like you can Mm -hmm. always see another podcast. You go, ah, they did a YouTube thing and cut it into 37 bits. And I should have, and they have an airplane in theirs. They have stock (laughs) footage. Like, ah, mine is just my head, like my stupid head, you know? So you can never get done. What's the other, you were about to mention another goal. So I threw in one that I haven't, 
kept up with well, but it really has changed my life. I was shooting to have a thousand analog hours. So by that, I mean, just moments away from the computer. So that would be like playing cards. So I don't, it was hard to keep up with. However, however, I learned several new piano songs this year and my brother came in for Thanksgiving and he had learned one of the same ones. And it's a song called Golden Hour by Jake. And like we played it together. My parents have a room in their house, Uh, super random where they have two pianos. So I mean, this is what we did over Thanksgiving. And I learned these piano pieces. I have in my purse a cross stitch. This makes me sound like a grandmother. But I learned from Jill Winger, who wrote a book called Old Fashioned on Purpose, that when we do things with our hands, tangible things, like not the screen, not scrolling, but when we use our hands, our brains release dopamine. And so, uh, well, this is a life-changing thing that instead of sitting in this 15 minute or 10 minutes here, I'm going to plot this cross stitch kit. And my daughter made one. I think what I'm noticing, and this is what I noticed with you and what you do and all these books, I've got all your books sitting here. I mean, I've got them all, you know, I got finished and I'm, I haven't read soundtrack yet. That's my next one. I've got this one. I just love all it takes is a goal. So, I mean, I've got all these books. What happens is when you do these things, it just starts to bleed in, bleed out in a good way, in a way that leaks into the lives of other people. So my kids are doing it, you know, so my daughter, she brings her cross stitch too. And I know that with each stitch, this is helping her brain release dopamine. So we're trying to include like more card games. I keep cards in my purse now. So we're sitting at a restaurant. I'm not going to be on my phone. We're going to play a game of rummy. And Uh so just having the intention, even if it's not perfect, even if you can't perfectly manage it or keep track of it or whatever the case may be, My life changed a lot this year by trying to be more intentional about analog moments. So I had read a book by Austin Kleon. He's got a couple of really cool books about creativity and they're cool looking books. And he says that in his house, and this is where I got the idea. He has a digital workspace and an analog workspace. And so he would say that if I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm losing my creativity. He says, I leave, I leave my digital workspace and I go to this one that's got pens and markers and paper and scissors and things I can touch. And I think it's a really cool idea for your kids too. Like if they're getting stuck on their schoolwork, let them go to the spot that's got the Play-Doh or these creative materials that they can use to just give your brain a break. And so that's kind of where I got the idea was trying to infuse more analog hours and it has been more life enhancing than I expected it to be. I I read fiction. I added fiction to my life. Like before I'm, I mean, I'm, I love books like this. That's all I was reading. So this year I read Kristen Hanna books. She's got the nightingale and I read, I mean, so many good books. My favorite one is the one that's in Alaska. And at the moment I can't think of the name of it, but I mean, that's really those stories. They enrich your life. So that was another thing I added for those analog hours. And, uh, you know, I'm not giving my life away to this phone. What that's don't, for sure. I'm curious, what don't you do? So I think anybody who has a, as big of like a goal list, a hope list, um, you know, thousand hours uh, outside walking these goals. It means there's other things you're not doing. Like where because. For me, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. I spent X amount of hours on Instagram last week. It didn't do me anything. Like, I need, it's taking some hours. What, you know, I want to balance them out. What don't you do? Uh, clean. Ah, that's a great one. That's a great one. <laughs> I mean, my house is messy. And here's yeah. what I think about that. I don't remember the messes. So when I look back at, I've got pictures, for example, we used to have a toy room. My kids are a little older now. So we had this toy room in this house we lived at. It was above the garage. And I have pictures, like actual photos of toys strewn everywhere. But in my mind's eye, 
I cannot remember one specific mess. In my mind's eye, I cannot remember one specific night where there were still dishes in the sink. I cannot remember one specific time with the table and it's there's papers strewn all over. I cannot remember any specifics, but I can remember the specifics of our adventures. And I think that when we look back on our lives, it's important to know that those types of things, they come and go and you clean because you have company and it's not like that all the time, but there's a time and a place for that. And I go to my parents' house and I go to my in-laws' house and it's clean, John. Everything is in its place. Mm -hmm. And so I know that there will be time for that. The time for that is coming when everything is, maybe we hit a spot where we can pay for it. You know, I, I, I talk, I hear parents talk about that, that that part of what money is for is to get the help that you need. And so that may be an option for some. And I thought that was a really freeing thing to hear, or we have better systems where our kids can help. And we're just kind of not there, but that's what goes for us. It's not, I don't have clean baseboards and I don't have washed windows. And for some people, I think maybe they wouldn't be able to handle that well. And and I think it's hard Mm -hmm. because you feel a little bit like a failure and there is information out there that a chaotic environment also can lead to feeling chaotic in your mind. However, these are the choices that we have to make because we really only have a certain amount of time. And so what I remember are the adventures with my kids. And if I had to go back and do my life over, I would do it the exact same way. Yeah, I would, you wouldn't clean more. You wouldn't no. say, I should have had better bins. If I had had better right. toy bins, that would have. And I know my kid yeah. would say that at graduation. When he graduates from high school, he'd say, my favorite thing about my mom was her color-coded bins. Right. That's, what, that's when I knew she loved me. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so, that's so good. Okay, so only a couple last questions. I'll let you get out of here. Um, you've got teenagers. You mentioned 15-year-old now. What are mm-hmm. some of the things you're trying to instill in your teenagers as they get kind of ready to launch? Why well, was this tricky, isn't it, John? You start to think, I'm right behind you. I'm just a couple years behind yeah. you. So our oldest turns 15 and a half on Christmas Eve, and we are less than three years from adulthood. I hope that he leaves our home with a sense that life has a lot to offer and that we have to pursue balance in a very practical and tactical way because there are brilliant minds out there that are trying to take that from us. And I hope that he approaches life in a way that really prioritizes relationships and experiences over sitting alone on your phone or watching television. And I think that I think that our kids will leave with that. I think that they'll have in their bodies, they'll know that experiences in nature and and doing things and movement, those are always things that we can fall back on when we're struggling, when we're in hard times. I think that our kids will take with them a sense of adventure. I think that they are going to be fine to take risks. And, you know, I don't know. It's hard to know at this point where their lives are going to go. But if I look at my own life, it wasn't a straight shot. I sit here as a former high school mathematics teacher on a podcast with the famous John Acuff. I mean, I remember the first time that I got your book in the mail. Do you ever wonder, this is what I would love to know. I wish that there was some way to know, are you a household name? Like at what percentage of household, right? Like, you know, it's like, okay, everyone probably knows Mel Gibson or Julia Roberts, right? You've got a hundred percent on Taylor Swift gets a hundred percent. It's like, where's John Acuff on the, on the scale of household name? I know the answer to that. My kids tell me the answer to that. This is their answer. So when I, I only get recognized in really two places, like where we live and the Nashville airport, that's it. And so whenever that happens and they're with me, they'll go, oh, you're so regionally famous. That's how they say it. They say you're regionally famous. And so then I say back to them, 
that person only got to spend 30 seconds with me. You get all weekend and they go, oh, <laughs> so it's become a little game. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I think that, so I always say to people, yeah, because like my nephew, I saw him at Thanksgiving. He was like, you're famous, you're famous. And I was like, mm, not regionally, regionally. So. <laughs> regionally. Well, but the thing is, is, I mean, I got your book in the mail from Baker. We have the same publisher. And I mean, I was over the moon. I'm like, we totally knew who you were. I mean, Josh knew about the queso. He was like, make sure you mentioned the queso. <laughs> and, so you know, so, so you great. get this book in the mail. And I thought, well, my goodness, you know, 10 years ago, I was like teaching the Pythagorean theorem. Yeah, you, you have just, a master's in education. Like yeah, right. Yes, exactly. You don't know where your life's going to go. And I think that's the point. I think the point is, is that we have to, like I said, come to today and give it what we've got and let the things drop that are lower on the priority list. Because our kids, we have to allow them to have the same thing that we have, which is the freedom to pivot and to swerve and to try different things. And I think your story gives a lot of people a lot of hope and inspiration also to do that. Like, I think what I see when I see your life or I read your books is and this is someone who goes for it, who goes for it and pivots and you don't know. And you can't know. So I, I can't expect that my 18-year-old or 19-year-old or 25-year-old should have it all together or to have it all mapped out or to have it all figured because I didn't. I didn't. My life has taken major swifts and turns. So I hope that our kids are true to the day that they have. And, you know, each day has enough trouble of its own. And yeah. we no work with what borrow. we can. No need yeah. to borrow anymore. Yeah. yeah. Can, I tell you, can I tell you a creepy kind of weird story? Yeah, totally. To, to wrap it up here. At first, I thought when you were telling me the story about the te- the endorsement, I was like, did I not send her an endorsement? I was, oh, I was like, no, and no, I missed I, it. I was like, I was like, no, I totally did. I was like, okay. And it was, it I was wonderful. that's what the point of this. Okay. Well, there's another point of the story, too, that when you do things, when you do new things, and for me, putting a book out into the world was scarier than I expected it to be. And I also, hate asking for endorsements. <clears throat> I hate asking it. It's so, you feel like you're asking somebody the, the adult prom. It's the, for me, like, cause they're going to write back and be like, no, I don't like, it's, it's a hard thing. Okay. It is. But then sometimes you get really beautiful ones. And that was one of the parts of the process that I really liked. But are you ready for my creepy, weird story? Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Okay, all right. So on Monday, we got uh, sort of last minute VIP tickets to come to Nashville to the Grand Old Opry and see Tommy Prophet, who did this Mm -hmm. incredible The Birth of a King. I believe it was this phenomenal concert, all these Christmas songs and all these different artists. And so um, we came and saw the Santa Wars. What? That's great. That's amazing. (laughs) It was super late at night. It was super late at night. Were they up? Yours were up, and so I got a picture with all it takes oh, is a goal, yeah, 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 and the yeah. and the uh, the Santa that is waving uh-huh. like at a car place. Yeah, and the Kia the, Santa. Kia yes, Santa. and the neighbor. I would say you won because the neighbor, his were laying on the ground. Yeah, I was about to say I'm going <laughs> to need to make this into an audio clip that I send him because <laughs> that is you have just made my week. That is so fantastic. <laughs> That is so fantastic. So we deemed you the winner uh, by far. Thank you. And Thank you. it was incredible. And I would say I like that Santa that waved. And then there was an actual sign that said Santa Wars. Yeah, it looks somebody like made Star me Wars. That. And it's metal. It weighs <laughs> a billion pounds. And every year I have to try to nail it into the core of the earth with a mallet. So, yeah, that sign. And then the rest of the year it is behind the fence behind our house. 
we have a fence around our air conditioner that like when you say you don't clean, I was like, oh, that spot is <laughs> hit. There are whole ecosystems right behind our house and against the I'm like, eh, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. <laughs> Let okay. me leave it in, because here's the thing. I think when you've got this whole audience of people who have goals and they're trying to accomplish things, what I have learned over the past 10 years, 12 years, is that when you have a goal. It enhances your life in so many ways that you don't know will happen. You don't know. You don't know that someday you're going to get to take this book right here and stand in front of Santa Wars. You don't know. And even if your things fail and flap, I had a book that got canceled. I had a book that a publisher asked me to write and I did the whole thing and I photographed the whole thing. It was an activity book. And when it was completely done. It got canceled because of COVID. You have these ups and these downs and these moments where you just, I just did a book signing the other day. I think like, I mean, (laughs) hardly anybody showed up. My in-laws were there. Dude, I've done that book signing. (laughs) I've done that same. And the the humiliating thing is if it's at a bookstore, they announce it over the bookstore as if there's 50 people lost. Like they go, (laughs) hey, Jenny's in the corner. She's over here by the magazines as if there's like a hundred fans that just haven't found you. And then once they hear the announcement, they'll be like, oh, here we all are. Like, and then the other thing you do is you delay the start as if there's a whole bus full of people just over the hill in traffic. So you go, we're going to wait a few minutes to start it so that everybody else can get here. And you're like, there's no everybody else. This is this. Yeah, oh, I've, yeah. I've had yeah. that book signing so many times. I mean, oh. you sit in this awkward two hours like I cannot wait until this time is over. But yeah. the point is, is not that 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 is not the point. The point is, is that all of these other things happen. You end up seeing Santa Wars. You end up we sent a basket out. We sent baskets out just a little goodies to the people that helped out on the team with this book. And something happened where one of the people got two baskets. So two baskets came. It was just some sort of a glitch in the system. Mm -hmm. And she said, we gave the second basket to this 80 year old man who has cancer. He's a good friend of the family. His daughter's been taking care of her, of her dad and the mom. And they called it the miracle basket. I mean, that, those are the things that, you know, you mess up, you miss the endorsement, you, you completely fail, you show up to your book signing, and you're embarrassed beyond, you're like humiliated for two hours, like no one is here. And this is just awful. I asked the the lady who owned the bookstore, because I was trying to like make myself feel better, like, oh, maybe this happens, you know, often. And she was like, well, we had one author, and there was a two hour wait. And we're so glad it was (laughs) nice weather. And I was like, oh, my goodness, people dug a hole through the ceiling and lowered people in like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yes. But through the embarrassment and through the failure and through those steps, all of these things happen that you could never imagine. And I think that's the point. And so I just I want to reiterate how much your books have helped me through the process of a lot of random things. I mean, I know you put out your work and it's for so many different types of people who are aiming for this or aiming for that. But for my particular life in the past 18 months, your books have given me a lot of courage and a lot to fall back on. All these quips that you say, the you know the little things they really stick. Like uh, go first. I'm going first for the mm-hmm. sake of my kids. Yeah, Give, I'm going you're giving first. them the gift of going second. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. I just want to thank you for that. I've I've found a lot of strength from what you've written and what you've put out into the world for my little situation over here in this side of the world, and I'm very thankful. Uh, it's so encouraging, and we'll definitely have you back on the podcast because I. I am dying for a follow-up on why your parents have dueling pianos in a room. So we'll follow up with that later. That's not for this episode. That's a, that's a teaser for the next time I have you on two last questions. 
You mentioned a lot of books um, in this conversation, and I'm certainly recommending Until the Street Lights Come On. What are some books you love? Like what's on your Mount Rushmore? Or what would you say, these are books I've given away more than any other? Mm, I love yours. So let me throw that I out there. That. Love yours. Absolutely. I've read three and you have more coming out and I, and you have more than three. So I'm working my way through them. Um, for this particular topic, there's a book called Smart Moves by Dr. Carla Hannaford. The subtitle is Why Learning is Not All in Your Head. And it's about this concept of that movement is learning, that learning is not necessarily sitting and looking at a chalkboard and doing a worksheet, that learning is actually movement. And she's a fantastic author because she has a PhD, but she didn't learn how to read until she was 10 years old. And I think that's really encouraging for parents that childhood does in life, it unfolds and we have to honor our own timelines. So she has one, there's another one by Angela Hanscom and it's called Balanced in Barefoot. And it's similar. She's a pediatric occupational therapist who sees that kids are struggling and really talks about all of the ways that getting outside simple play helps kids. And there's a third one called Free to Learn by Dr. Peter Gray, where he talks about that kids are biologically driven to learn and self-educate and they do that primarily through social relationships and so mixed age play pick up sports those three books would like gird you Uh, they would be like the ones that just give I think the, the reason that I read so much and I continue to read a lot of books that are in the same vein is because this is really hard It is really hard to draw the line and society used to be set up in a way that honored childhood. And I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but those boundaries were there. They existed. They existed because TV wasn't on all the time. They existed because cartoons ended at noon. They existed because maybe people had less money and there were less classes offered. I mean, there was a whole time where, you know, often the family had one car. And so these boundaries just existed and they don't, they don't anymore. And It's up to the individual parent to stand in that gap and to say, I'm going to leave space on my calendar for my kid. I'm going to say no to the screens. And this is not easy. This is not easy. And so I have to have these reminders that this matters. It really matters that our kids someday are going to look at us and call us to account to a degree about how we structure their childhoods. And and maybe say things, you know, there's kids that are saying there's a, a man named Sean Killingsworth who's in his early 20s. And he says, I lost my whole childhood. He said it was a social wasteland. There was no one to play with. I couldn't have experiences that I could just be myself because I might have been videotaped at any moment, shared to the whole school. It's like a sobering conversation. So I continue to read the books because I continue to need the strength. I have to draw the strength. Not in that vein. I love Stephen Pressfield. I would say that's one of my favorite books I read of his this year was what's the most famous. He has so many war of art the war of art and i just love those little yeah chapters that you just you get so much out of so stephen pressfield was a favorite author that i read this year that i got so much out of and one of the things he talks about is our kids come how they come yeah. you're not really going to change much mm-hmm. <laughs> so channel yeah. that yeah. and i i know i got so much out of Throw his so, and so much it. out yeah. of yours yeah perfect perfect yeah. last question where can people find out more about your book more about what you do give us the links the podcast give it to us all 
Okay, so here's what I said. I was a math teacher. I am not a creative, if that's the word that people use. So literally everything is 1,000 hours outside. The website is 1,000hoursoutside.com. I have those tracking sheets I was talking about. They're free. They're, They're beautiful. Designed. They're, They're amazing. so cool. We have new ones that come out every year. They're designed by the global 1,000 hours outside community, and there's a lot of options on there. We have a, a top-rated app. It's just so wild, John. You know, you see your app, it'll be like number one in all of paid apps on the app store. Like, what? What is that? You know, like we don't really know what we're doing. Yeah. It's just us over here. We have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. So take heart. You can go forth into the world without having any idea what you're doing and just try things. And some things stick and some don't. So the app is the 1000 Hours Outside app. And the podcast is the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. And this new book has its own name. It's called Until the Streetlights Come On. But I've also actually written three other books that are called <laughs> they all have the same title. They're literally all called 1000 Hours Outside. They have different subtitles. I don't know. I'm, you know, like, yeah. you can be not that good at this. No, and but what's funny is that impact. brand experts would go, that's brand consistency. So you might think, <laughs> oh, that, like, I 100%. I talked to somebody the other day that was talking about this other friend of ours who's worth 100 million. And he's like, his businesses are scattered. He does, I don't even know what he's doing. And like, he was saying he's not consistent. So I actually see that as a strength. Um, as somebody who has authored John Acuff on Facebook and John Acuff on Instagram, like I see, oh, look at her being consistent. And you got there first because <laughs> it's go. fantastic. It's fantastic. <laughs> Jenny, this was the best. We'll definitely do it again. I'm, I'm coming on your podcast, I think, in a couple of Oh, I can't wait. Um, yeah, I'm going to so, talk about soundtracks. We'll talk about heading into the new year with all of it. And We'll do it all. all. Things. We'll do it It'll all. It'll be the fourth time. It'll be the fourth time you've been on. And every it. single time has been so impactful. This one's going to be super fun. Jenny, you're fantastic. I'm going to recommend your book a bunch. I'll endorse the next one. We'll get the next one. Um, that just means the next one needs to be even better. Um, so thank you for doing this with me. People are going to love this episode. Thank you, John. And, and way to go on Santa Wars. Appreciate it. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We'll put all the links in the show notes as always. And thank you for reviewing my podcast. The reviews you write are super encouraging. I really appreciate those. So please make sure you subscribe or follow or whatever the kids are saying these days. And please write a review. I'll see you next week. And remember, all it takes is a goal. Thanks for listening. To learn more about the All It Takes is a Goal podcast and to get access to today's show notes and exclusive content from John Acuff, visit acuff.me slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the All It Takes is a Goal podcast. I've been really surprised at how many people who listen to this podcast have reached out to me about having me speak at their events. I love that. And here's why. Over the last 13 years, I've had the honor to help hundreds of companies like Nissan, Walmart, Microsoft, and Comedy Central at events around the world. And during that time, I've developed three big goals for your event. Number one, I want to slingshot your audience into the best year they've ever had. Whether I'm opening, closing, or somewhere in the middle of the event, I want to launch everyone out of that room with actionable, memorable things that they can apply to their work and lives immediately. Number two, my second goal, I want the sound team engaged and laughing. The sound team has heard it all. They have, and if I can make them laugh and learn along the way, 
the audience is going to absolutely love the keynote. And number three, my third goal, I want you to get text messages during the keynote. My favorite sentence to hear from you after I speak is, John, my phone was blowing up during your keynote. I'm there to make you look like a rock star, not me. If your boss texts you during my speech and compliments you on how well the event is going, then I know I've done my job. Whether it's virtual or live, 10,000 people in an arena or 15 sales team members on WebEx or Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams, I'd love to help you with your next event. Fill out the quick form at acuff.me slash speaking to check my availability. That's acuff, A-C-U-F-F dot M-E slash speaking.